0: Love, talk, radio.
1: Well, hello and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio Show. Today it's cold and rainy here in Minnesota, but that doesn't matter because I'm with my friends on the radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer's Speaks Resource website, blog, radio, and the Shifting Your Dementia Care Culture webinar series. Here at Alzheimer's Speaks, we believe in giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss, and their care partners, empowering them all to live purpose-filled lives. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with dementia. Our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease, not as the disease. Now, Rick Self is our channel expert who has um, early onset um, Alzheimer's disease. And he may pop into the show. I never quite know what his schedule is going to be. Rick was diagnosed in June of um, 2010, and he's the founder of Memory People on Facebook, which is a wonderful support group for those with early memory loss, their care partners, as well as business professionals and advocates. So if you haven't checked out Memory People on Facebook, please do so. It's It's a closed group, so you will have to be asked to be invited in. I would also like you to um, keep in mind that collaboratively we really can shift caregiving from crisis to comfort by sharing our knowledge, our insights, and our passions. And And we encourage you here to join our mission in doing that. We'd love to hear your voice, your thoughts, your comments, and your questions. So if you're listening online, you can use the chat box to post a comment or question, or you can always call in live, and that number is 714-364-4754. 714-364-4754. Again, that's 714-364-4754. And you'll have to push 1 to get into my um, my waiting room. If you're the silent type and you're not quite ready for your voice to be heard, you can still help spread the word of our show by liking us on Facebook and tweeting about us or posting on your blog or newsletter and highlighting an episode. You can even email an episode to friends and colleagues. All of that can be done from our homepage. Um, Other options would be, again, to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and here at Blog Talk Radio. Again, we are, one, working together for the greater good to remove the fear um, and spread the knowledge of what is working with uh, Alzheimer's disease and other types of dementia. Today we have some wonderful guests. Our first hour, we are going to have um, Richard Roman and Gina Pothoff, and they have done a beautiful musical video. The second hour, we will have Janie Jason, who had two parents who had dementia, and she'll share her story with us. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce our first guest. Uh, Gina Pothoff is from Lincoln, Nebraska. She's a wife and a mother of a 12-year-old daughter. Other than taking care of her family, she teaches piano and violin lessons and writes music. Since starting to write um, with her partnership with Richard Roman in 2010, she and Richard have really decided to focus on creating songs with strong, meaningful messages. Richard is a songwriter from North Canton, Ohio. He's a lyricist. Who has written um, and um, has composed uh, for people all over the world? In 2008, he created a website called 72Words, and that's 72Words.com, to distribute the secret to happiness um, verse and song. The website also, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a little frog in my throat today here. The website also has the giving songs that he and Gina Pothoff have um, written to raise funds for good causes. In 2009, he started 72 Words Production to create a um, virtual um, world for music videos. And he has made music um, videos for Grammy-nominated artists and um, teen movie stars um, from Singapore, all over the world. So he's just got a great, fantastic um background. Richard is also a playwright, and he wrote the musical for Blue Moon. He wrote the book and the lyrics to the song, um, and then the the music was um, composed by Dennis Kortcher of Montreal. So I welcome both of you to the show. How are you doing today?
2: Pretty good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, doing well. well. Thank
3: you, you, Laura, for having us.
1: Well, good. I think what we'll do is we'll start out, I I always ask people, what is your connection to dementia? And Gina, I'm going to go ahead and throw that to you first. If you can give people a little background of your personal connection to dementia.
3: Sure. Um, I had a grandmother who was diagnosed with severe dementia, and this has been about 28 years ago now that she was diagnosed. And, um, you know, she was a a mother of four and homemaker um wonderful seamstress she could make anything uh which was important in the time that she was alive and uh she just um you know i'm not sure the difference between the dementia she had and alzheimers uh except i don't think she uh repeated things uh, other than that though she um eventually was moved to a nursing home for the last five years of her life um and you know went from knowing us to not knowing us to uh just you know it just took over her whole life um, you know just towards the end just exactly like alzheimer's does um, and i then I also have a grandpa on my other side of the family who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. um, And this was a a few years before he died, and he was going to be a part of some drug trials for Alzheimer's, uh, but unfortunately, uh, right before he was gonna try that, uh, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. So um, he was to the stage in the Alzheimer's disease uh, that he could not be left alone. You know, he had to have somebody with him 24 hours a day. Uh, So, you know, he wasn't able to participate in drug trials and, um, you know, eventually did die from lung cancer. But uh, So I've kind of seen it on on both sides of the family.
2: Okay.
1: And how about you, Richard?
2: My biggest, I've been pretty fortunate that it's only been my father had dementia in our family. Uh, And his biggest problem was his short-term memory. And what was the saddest part of it is uh, after my mom passed, he never really remembered that she passed. So every time anybody visited him, uh, he would always uh, inquire about what happened to mom, and uh, we'd have to tell him. And, you know, it was like telling him all over again that, you know, mom passed away. And uh, this went on for probably about a year. And then finally on my uh, mother's anniversary of her passing, uh, my one brother took him out to – to the gravesite to put some flowers on it and uh, after that it kind of like stuck in his memory and it uh, became more of a long-term memory that she passed on and uh, uh, it wasn't much it was about a few months after that that he he passed away himself from you know the doctor said you know the cause of death was cancer but I always felt he died of a broken heart one of the nicest things he ever did was uh, when my mom had to go to the nursing home when she was like 85 uh my dad decided that he didn't want to live at home alone. He wanted to live with my mom so he voluntarily went into the uh the nursing home and in the bed next to her so uh so he could be with her. So
1: Oh, how sweet. That's uh my mom my dad ended up in a nursing home because of a brain tumor and my mom had dementia and was always gonna live with us. And I'll never forget after about two weeks of living with us, she woke up really clear. And said, "I want to, I want to be with Dad." And um, mm-hmm. you know, our memory loss was kind of mid-stage at that time, and you know, I was kind of shocked because that wasn't the plan. We had kind of worked everything out, and I thought, "How did we miss the piece about love?" You know, and of course, she wanted to be with my dad, and that is just so, so neat that you know that connection is still there, and, and that wanting to be oh. together. So, you know, it, um. It,
2: it, it, if love could cure Alzheimer's, it would because the caregivers out there they just I've in the last few months I've had so many comments on their video from people and just reading the comments, these caregivers just, you know, have so much love they give to the, the person they love that has the disease that you just sort of wish that love could cure it. Oh,
1: that wouldn't that be sweet. Wouldn't that be sweet. Now can you tell us, um, a little bit about how did you two come to work together and then, you know, work on this particular project. Can um Richard, can you give us a little background on that?
2: Yes, I've been uh, you know, the internet is a beautiful thing. i you know, I'm as a writer of the words, I, I don't write music, so I try to uh find people that uh you know that write you know instrumental songs out there. And I over the years have searched the internet Uh, and found a lot of people, a lot of different people to write songs with. You know, Dennis from Montreal we wrote the musical with. I wrote with a lady from uh, Hong Kong, someone from England, uh, and uh, it all led me to Lincoln, Nebraska, where uh, Jenna lives and everything. And I I was on a music site, and I heard one of her songs that was an instrumental, and I uh, emailed her about wanting to write words to it, and we wrote our first song together called Ring the Bell, which was... An environmental had an environmental message about how we need to take better care of the planet, and uh, we just started writing songs together after that. And all told, we've probably written about twenty songs now, and most of them have very powerful messages to it. She writes great music that I really connect with, and uh, we've come up with some, you know, some very, really great uh, message songs out there.
1: Oh, great! So, how did this song come about? Um, uh, Richard, did you write it from your experience with your family or um, was it something that was collaborative together or, or maybe, Gina, you started it? I don't know.
3: Well, uh, I think on Rick this phone... Rick actually... Go ahead. Go ahead,
0: Gina.
3: Well, I was going to say, Rick Rick had written lyrics for this and um, I don't remember how many years ago you wrote these lyrics, but uh, he sent them to me to come up with some music. Um and i'll let I'll let Richard tell you the rest of of how that turned into Alzheimer's message,
2: yeah, when I first wrote the song, the song was about two strangers uh meeting and falling in love and getting married, and over time they just drifted apart and became strangers uh and It wasn't until I listened to Gina's music that uh I changed the whole story to make it a love story about losing them one to Alzheimer's. it just the music was just so so powerful and instra- inspirational. I just wanted to have a much bigger message than two people falling falling out of love, and it became you know the Alzheimer's caregivers love story song, and uh, uh, and that's how we did it. Okay.
3: And I think after after Richard decided, you know, this this really could be a perfect uh, tribute song for caregivers, you know, then we both started talking about our personal experiences with dementia and and Alzheimer's. So that was kind of like, you know, this would just really be a neat tribute song. And um, even though it's the original meeting kind of was sad, people falling out of love, it turned it around to, you know, regardless of of how the people affected with dementia, you know, maybe did forget their loved one in the end, but uh, they didn't fall out of love. And the the person left behind to care for them still loved them to the end. So uh, it really became powerful.
1: Well, and for some, you know, they fall in love all over again, too. You know, it's, I mean, there's so many different phases to this disease. And you know, for me personally, with, with my journey with my mom, I've just learned that, uh, you know, there's so many different types of love and levels of love that I wasn't privy to until dementia entered our life. And um, and that's just been a huge gift, um, to be able to look at things differently and to have a connection on a different level that I didn't know existed. And so I, I really think the video shows a lot of uh, the, just the passion in the heart in um, the soul of the relationship, which is so lost many times. Um, people forget why they're a care partner to begin with, and it, it typically is out of that love, out of that relationship. And I think we have to learn, um, teach people to um, never lose that core. Um, you know, don't get lost in the disease. Don't start living as the disease, but learn to live with it um, and all the little tricks that that come along with it. So, I, you know, the video and the song is is so powerful. How long did it take you guys to kind of a re-script things um, you know from start to finish when Richard when you first sent the lyrics um, to Gina to having a, a, a final product and then um, how long of the process was that
2: I think it was only a matter of probably uh, when Gina and I connect on a song we usually get it done fairly quickly so probably it was like not more than one or two weeks uh, to went from start to finish when I sent her the lyrics and she sent me back the music, and we uh, scripted the final lyrics and uh, had a, a working, you know, song that we can make a demo of. And uh, yeah, it went rather quickly.
1: Wow, that is amazing. Now, did, was the, the original um, uh, goal was it just to be a song, or was it always to be a music video?
2: Well, I think the original goal was, you know, we were just writing a, a strong message song, and after we really had the song done we realized that this this story needs to be told in, in a bigger venue with with a uh, with a video and it's one of the, uh, it's the it's the only song we've done a video on
1: okay can can you um tell us a little bit about you know how you pulled all this together cuz you know a lot of times people get stopped by money and go I just can't afford to do that and I know um you know you guys got creative and had a lot of collaboration if you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience how the how the video got pulled together
2: sure uh in northeast ohio we have a uh, a posting service for uh, artists and i just posted the uh a message on the on the service about how we wanted to tell the story of the song in the video asking for uh, volunteers and uh, as a result of that we had over 40 people volunteer to be actors, actresses, costume designers, makeup people, uh, film editors, uh, photographers, uh, you know, we got everything we needed to do on a volunteer basis from the uh, the Northeast Ohio community. Uh, the only thing that that cost money was actually making the the recording that you hear in the song. Uh, mm-hmm. We went to Nashville and uh, brought in a top-flight you know music producer to create the, uh, the the track for the song and to mix it and make the arrangement. And uh, we got a you know, really good demo singer to uh, to sing it and uh, put it all together. And that was the only thing that we paid for. And we got you know I got you know Gina and I put in some money and. Uh, we raised some money from some friends and everything to get the song done. You know, the last thing we wanted to do was go to any Alzheimer's organization and ask for money to make the video because we wanted to help them, not them help us. So we were fortunate; mm-hmm. we were able to get the project done.
1: Oh, very, very neat. It's it's absolutely beautiful, and people can see the video on YouTube. Correct.
2: Yes, it's on YouTube, and they can go. You know, to to see the video, all they really need to do is go to our website, hidingfromthering.com, which is the title of the song.
1: Okay. Well, why don't we go ahead and play that song right now? And um, let me just find it. I had it here two seconds ago, and, of course, now I can't find it on my computer. Here we go. Make
0: sure I get the...
4: If it hadn't rained that autumn day we never would have met, would still be searching yet for love to come our way hiding from the rain to strangers. We found our world inside a small cafe. Becoming man and wife To start a brand new life Walking hand in hand Every time The rain starts falling Her heart falls For mine again And then we're back in that cafe Hiding from That day Through the years That came and went Our laughter Love and children grew Turning grey with her From happiness and tears I was met Got my name And prayed That something could Be done I wound up In the end A stranger once again Without Her knowing Again, and then we're back in that cafe, hiding from the rain that day. In the cafe, hiding from.
1: I'm listening to it, I I see your video because it, it matches it so perfectly. It's so well done and and such a touching story of, of a relationship and a connection and this this deep, deep found love. Um so thank you too for both um putting all of this work and effort into it and then all of your volunteers. Again, I, I think so many times people get stuck um thinking that they can't perform um, and they can't uh, get something done because they don't have enough time, they don't have enough money, um, or they don't have you know enough people behind them. And sometimes all we have to do is put it out there and ask. And so I, I think that, that is, uh, to me that makes it even more of a precious project when so many come together um, to make it happen. I think it's a large, large statement on what it is you're doing. Um, and so... I, it's, how how has it been received in the world can um, Gina, can you tell us um you know how are people responding to the song?
3: You know the feedback that we've been getting has just all been positive, you know, just like what what you've said already about uh just the amount of love the caregivers have and uh the relationship between people. Uh, and, you know, we've heard nothing but, you know, thank you for writing the song, uh, you know, this reminds me of my family. Uh, just, you know, I think it, it's really given some comfort to to people that have been through this experience and just, you know, that they relate to it. So, you know, it just feels good to know that, you know, there's only so much we can do with this disease right now, and we're hoping that just bringing some awareness uh, obviously, would would hopefully bring a cure or some kind of uh, treatment to this. And uh, anyone that's heard the song, you know, they just think it's a, a testament to love uh, for the caregivers. So, right, uh, Richard, anything you'd like to add on that?
2: I think that the one thing that that surprised me was how comforting the uh, the video has been to caregivers. I mean. And it's like their story they see on the screen. It's you know They either have experienced it already with losing a loved one or going through the process of losing a loved one. So when they watch the video and listen to the song, it's telling their story up there. And it, it, even though it's very sad to them, it does give them a certain amount of comfort.
1: Definitely. I, music is so powerful, and I think really it's it's one of those things that is under it it's how do I want to say this? It's underutilized in terms of people really knowing the power pack behind it. I think it's definitely tapped in and it's something that most of us use on a daily basis, but we don't really sit back and think the the impact that it has on us from an emotional standpoint. The triggers um, you know, that it can it can that can pour out from attaching a memory from the past to making us happy to um, thinking of sad times, I mean, there's all different types of things. And, and physiologically in our body, you know, our bodies change to the beat and the, the emotion behind the music, you know, there's a reaction. And I would love to see um, the world of dementia and just all causes really at large get behind that, understanding what a powerful yet subtle impact um, songs like this and music videos can have on people and giving them solace and, and helping them feel the emotion of this disease because this is a very, very emotional disease and I, I don't think we can move forward until we truly feel those emotions. We kind of get stuck in patterns and, you know, it is okay if the tears start flowing um, but a lot of times, you know, it can trigger laughter as well. Um, but realizing that for all of us, we're all whole people, no matter what our situation is. And a person who is even in their end stages of dementia um, still loves music. And, you know, if you watch them closely, you can see those trigger points. Um, I think it's very, very healing. Did you find um, Richard writing the songs for you was a healing process?
2: I think yeah, I got a great deal of satisfaction out of writing it and thinking of my my dad and everything. So uh yeah, I would say I I it did, you know, heal me to some you know, it did have a healing process.
1: Yeah, I, I and I agree with, and, and I agree with
2: you a hundred percent about the power of music and videos to uh telling a story that way is you know, most of what I've seen so far. You know, with the different Alzheimer's organizations, it's all black and white facts and texts and what have you, and and that's all good and it's very informative and helpful, but it does it lacks you know it lacks the, a powerful message. In it. when you're when you read something like that, it it's it's good, but uh, music and videos can you know can inspire and move people a lot more than than the written word, I think.
1: Oh, I I agree because it just hits us on multiple levels. Plus, it's an easy way to share the emotion of the disease with somebody else without personally coming out and stating how you're feeling. Um, it, it just shares it in a natural state, which because a lot of people aren't comfortable sharing their emotions. Um, but they'll share a song, um, because it, it gives them a little bit of autonomy behind that, that emotion. I hear from people all the time um, when I speak and, and even on the show um, how powerful, you know, writing can be in terms of expressing um, themselves. So if it's in poems or if it's in song, um, you know, there's there's so many things that you can do once you once you write something, um, or you can just kind of savor it yourself, um, or you can just share it with family, or you can you know put it in a book. There's there's so many levels of sharing, but I think it's um, so cool that there are. Are people like like Richard and Gina in the world that have the talent to be able to bring it to a larger platform? What are your What are your goals for this song? What in the ideal world, you know, um, with absolutely no limits, Richard, what would you like to see for this song?
2: I would like the song to move and inspire people to get involved in uh, the Alzheimer's cause. I mean, right now we're, you know, research is grossly underfunded compared to a lot of other diseases out there, and uh, unfortunately, in today's world, you need money to cure something, and you know, the Alzheimer's movement does need money to do the research and run the trials and and you know, pr- you know, figure out a way to cure the disease and prevent it from happening. And uh, what we hope to do is to get more and more people involved in, in speaking out, you know, for the victims. You know, this is one disease where there are no survivors. So you know, there's nobody that survived the disease that can, you know, be the uh, celebrity uh, spokesperson for the disease and everything. So we we are hoping that people will share the video and the song to uh, become the voice of the victims. And uh, in, in doing so, raise the awareness and get more more funding to uh, to cure this so nobody ever gets it again.
1: You know, you had mentioned that there's no cure, and and there isn't. There's, you know, lots of things going on, and, you know, some are saying it's right around the corner, others are saying it's not, and, 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 you know, like anything else, it's kind of a crapshoot out there. But I got an email on Facebook today, a, a message from somebody that I thought was really interesting, and she said, a cure is a result of a medical action. Quality of life is a result of our choices in our life. And as a result of quality of life, there are still possibilities to obtain optimal wellness and well-being and, and live gracefully. And I just thought, oh, that's just so perfect. Because um, as much as we focus on a cure, you know, for those living with the disease right now, be it be, be, it, eh, be them diagnosed themselves right now or a family member mm-hmm. or loved one, um, you know, that doesn't that doesn't cut it for them. They need something more um they need that hope given back. And I think your song gives that hope of love and connection that isn't lost and doesn't have to be lost. It might be different and it might be changed. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's gone, um, or that it never existed. Um and I you know, I, I love the way you guys did the video because it's just it's just so I I hope the audience all goes out there and and watches the video because it, and have a box of Kleenex, <laughs> you know, by because it is very touching, but it is such a gentle, pure love that you that you show um, through the video and through the music that I uh, you know I think sometimes that gets lost in this disease. It gets swallowed whole over our fears of trying to make things perfect or trying to change what is, and we, we, you know, the disease isn't going away, and we can't change, um, you know, how the person reacts to things anymore, Um, but we can change how we react to the disease. And by changing our reactions, it in turn affects the person with dementia, and we can end up bringing them some calm and solace and love, but but it has to start with us, because if we go in anxious and upset, you know, they, they're going to mirror that. Um, so I think that there's some great, great, great lessons in that, um, knowing that there can still be this pure, deep love um, and, you know, that it's okay. Um, you'll survive it. You'll grow stronger from it. Now, how have um, have you approached, like, organizations or associations? I'm wondering how you're looking at promoting this, or is there a way that, you know, myself and the audience can help you with that.
2: Well, so far we have uh, approached, you know, a lot of organizations, uh, and we've gathered a lot of support. You know, Us Against Alzheimer's, they've been a, a very strong uh, promoter of, of the video. Uh, American Health Assistance Foundation has been a, another supporter. The, uh, Of course, your organization has been very helpful. We appreciate it. And we have a focus on the 615 out of Nashville, Tennessee. It's a uh, a music site that uh, has posted the video and sharing it with their their fans and everything. So, you know, we just started, you know, working with a lot of different organizations. So it's like building the foundation of a house. You just, you know, it's one brick at a time. You know, right now i am probably got about 30 to 35 different organizations involved with the cause that I've been emailing the uh, video to and asking them to share it but a lot of times it's like setting a note in the bottle and sometimes uh you know people find a note and uh, we have great success when they when they do find a note and watch the video they want to support it and help get the message out
1: wonderful um have you have you approached like at research centers at all
2: uh we've we've emailed you know research centers yes but uh haven't had a lot of you know results yet with getting through to them
1: Okay, I was I was just thinking for their fundraisers or something that might be um, because a lot of them <clears throat> a lot of them tend to be pretty statistical based and clinical and you know song like yours um, evokes the emotion and the emotion you know in my opinion from what I've seen typically is what gets people to pull out their pocketbooks. You know, it I agree with hitting, you
2: wholeheartedly. I mean that's one of the uh the advantages of, of telling it with a with a song and a and a video uh is it moves people to, to do things and uh, you know, a couple pages of text.
1: hmm. So, um one of the things that we had talked about before was kind of grandkids and kind of where are they in, in this whole mix, you know, because a lot of their grandparents have have dementia and um can you can you talk a little bit more of what you would like to see in terms of grandkids getting involved or how they could help in the cause?
2: I think uh, grandkids really need to get more involved. One of the interesting statistics, you know, YouTube is wonderful. You get all these statistics of who's watching the video, their their genders, their ages, and uh, we've only really had. Five uh, percent of the viewership has come from people 34 and under, which is the grandkids' age.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh,
2: you know, young people today are the YouTube generation. So, if you want to reach them, you know, the best way to reach them is with a video and uh, you know, or music. And uh, uh, that's you know what I'm trying to address the most is trying to get to the grandkids because I I really think the grandkids uh, need to get more involved with the caregiving side and helping their parents take care of their grandparents. Okay. Easier said than done, though.
1: Yeah, you, you know, what you might want to try is most of the schools um, have a have a sector, you know, where they go over different, you know, health and illnesses and things like that. And I've been called in to speak. Um, a lot of them do talk about Alzheimer's disease now. And you might want to just approach um the school and and see if they might be interested in using it because the kids. What I have found when I go into the schools and speak, it's amazing the number of families that are t- are taking in their loved ones, um, and either they're living with them physically or you know it's it's um, changed their lifestyle in terms of you know, how the family functions um, in terms of caring for a grandparent. And so they're definitely feeling the effects, but I don't think most of them know where to go or how to process it all. And, um, you know, parents are struggling kind of being that sandwich generation of now caring for parents and caring for kids. Uh, So it might be a powerful tool for them to be able to utilize to see, um, you know, uh, kind of that love and that connection and to help them start a conversation as well. Um, That's a good idea. All, the teachers are always looking for, you know, things that will really um, provoke conversation or invoke, I shouldn't say provoke, <laughs> invoke conversation, yeah. um, you know, with the kids. And they're so open and honest. And they really um, they want to help. Um, but what I find when I go into the school so much of the time is that most parents aren't sharing everything with the kids because they're trying to protect them. Um, and the kids see it all, they hear it all. Um, though, and, and I've been there as a parent, you know, I didn't want to burden my child with it. But, you know, she, she saw the changes, but nobody talked to her about it. And they are filled with energy and love and they want to help they want to be a resource and so um I think that's a mistake that some of us as parents make is not tapping into um tapping into everybody who's available to help and everybody who wants to help um, because we can't do it alone so just another kind of food food for thought there um are you working on any other projects at this point or?
2: Yeah, we're always writing. You know, we you know, Gina and I we, we're always writing. So, uh we're always coming up with new songs and uh one of the ones we're uh, working on now is a, a song about helping your helping uh, your neighbors type of song. Okay. So Gina's written some great music and uh it's interesting, you know, we've uh we write kind of songs in, in different ways. I send her lyrics and she sends me music. She sends me music. I sent her lyrics, and uh, this one is kind of in between. I I had the chorus, but I didn't have any lyrics, so she, I sent her the chorus, and she wrote the uh, lyric music, and I I was able to write the lyrics from that, and we're almost done with a, with another song. So. Oh
3: neat! And one thing about oh. I'm sorry. One thing about oh. Richard and his lyrics, I would say, um, you know, working with him has been really nice because I feel like the the music. Uh, the, the ideas he comes up with are really uh, purposeful and not just trying to write another song that's a catchy tune or just doesn't have a lot of meaning or purpose behind it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's really been a blessing to me to want to write music that, that really stands for something. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd like to make just one other point about um, what the the video meant Um to me, um, mm-hmm. as a as a grandchild, because I you know these were my grandparents that were affected, um, you know my grandma that lived in a nursing home for the last five years of her life, I saw the true love my grandpa had by you know driving round trip thirty miles a day to see her, you know and he was in his late 80s at this point and uh, you know that was that was his whole life uh, was her. Um, and also, my grandpa with Alzheimer's, who fortunately was able to stay at home, um, I had an aunt and uncle that lived right behind my grandparents. And, you know, they went over countless times a day um, to help with him and, and help with my grandma, who uh, had cancer at the time. And, uh, you know, and their kids also, you know, helped. And so it was just, uh, it just really made an impact on me. And I'm I'm hopeful that that the grandkids that watch this video uh, will be able to see too that that they can help. They can help their parents if they need to go to the store to lighten the load or or just spend time with a uh, their their grandparent that's affected. Um, any of that, or you know, I even think of uh, friends and neighbors. If you don't have this disease in your family, if there's anything you can do to help lessen the load of the caregiver. Uh, so i hope that people get that uh from the video as well
1: well in, when you were talking about this this new song that you're writing um you know neighbors helping neighbors it's like well that's just perfect <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. um, in, in, instead of uh, standing by the wayside you know get involved and um and reach out and be supportive um because you know we're so we're so busy and we're so important and we're we're so not. You know, and, and is, I make
2: and a really good songwriting team. Uh, this one of the songs that we did, and uh, we have put up some of our other songs on the hidingfromtherain.com website now for other people to listen
0: mm-hmm. to. Uh, but
2: uh-huh. this one song, I'll tell you a little, is kind of an interesting story. We were in the process of writing a song. And we needed, I needed some bridge music. We needed some bridge mu- music for the song, and she wrote this bridge. And I, and when I first heard the bridge, I, I called her up and I said, this is not a bridge, this is a whole new song. And it mm-hmm. eventually became the song we called Save Your Tears. And it's, it's an interesting song, and it, it applies to a lot of things, but it also applies in the movement for Alzheimer's in that uh, celebrities out there get so much attention in everyday mm-hmm. life, and when they have a disease, everybody is uh, you know paying attention to them, and they get a, you know, and it's good. It creates a lot of awareness. But at the same time, there's so many people that care for for them that the song "Save Your Tears" is all about. You know, the celebrities have enough people who care for them, so it's important to care about the other people that only you know just have their family or just on their own. So the song "Save Your Tears" is about saving your tears for. You know the everyday people that go through their troubles that that need help
1: definitely i I agree with with you wholeheartedly on that, and I think so many of the associations and organizations get so wrapped into the celebrity um swing of things, thinking you know they're gonna raise the voice um and you know, and they do I think to a point, but I also have seen. Um, especially in the last two years, the frustration of the real people dealing with the disease, um, going, you know what, they're not teaching us anything new, how to live with the disease. They're not giving us coping skills. They're just a a poster child saying, I have it. And um, they don't, they're starting to, what I'm seeing out there there's starting to be a real resentment against that. Um, and they don't want to hold anything against that person who's been diagnosed. But it's like, hey, what about the rest of us? Don't we count?
2: Yeah, you're exactly me? right. I mean, I had one lady commented on the video how you know how powerful, how meaning it was, meaningful it was to her, and how how you know, uh, and she told me she was she's on dialysis three times a week, yet she cares enough about her dad with, with Alzheimer's she takes care of him. Uh, mm-hmm. That is an incredible, amazing. Uh, Feat of love to be able to, you know, do all that and for yourself, go through all those troubles yourself, then turn around and help your dad. It's just, it's just amazing. But you know, where is that story being told out there?
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons I actually that I started the radio show was to try to, you know, my my goal in the in the big picture is really to even the playing field from little to small, so from the everyday person who has been diagnosed, to their families, to their care partners, to their business professionals, um, as well as the large organizations, everybody's voice needs to be heard and we all have to start talking the same language, which is not the clinical language, but the people's language um, and I think that that's another mistake that is made and I think through music, again, you speak through the heart, you speak the the people's language, um, and you move them at a whole different level than a pet scan slide can do. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and I and I think that that's just incredibly important. Um, and you know, hopefully, soon. My I keep talking about my new new website, the upgraded one, but that is really going to be meant to even the playing fields and get voice out there. And we'll actually have a section for music and video. Um, for resources for people because it's so highly needed and you know you can Google and just get lost out there um, with all of the information and um, it, it's just it's so powerful what what you guys are doing now um, Richard you had also mentioned to me that you were going to you're thinking about starting a network or maybe you already have of um, musicians and artists um, can you can you talk a little bit more about that
2: yeah I'm in the process of trying to uh put together uh, a you know network of of musicians artists that wanna uh support the cause and everything I, you know and create you know one one website where everybody can go and uh you know listen to the stories of the different artists big ones little ones that uh are trying to uh touch people like we are with their music to uh help help uh the alzheimer's movement so Kevin, uh, you know, I'm just in the you know beginning to put it together. I'm hoping I'll be able to attract a a network uh, a, a TV channel to uh, to uh, put together a story on it and uh, and be able to show that, or maybe eventually work it into a benefit concert for the disease.
1: Oh, would that be cool? That would it be really, really would. Be- I
2: mean, you know, if you want to get, you know, we we need to get the movement into more mainstream America, and mm-hmm. the best way to do that is with music, I think.
1: I agree. I I totally agree because it's 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 a subtle way of learning. It taps into our emotions. It makes us. Um, I think, I think it just calms us down and makes us more open to learning. Um, you know, when we do this, you know, there's the old Jerry Lewis telethons and stuff, and it's like I, I'm still amazed nobody's doing that for Alzheimer's disease, you know, and for for dementia. Um, and dementia has so many different phases phases, and I think that's one of the problems of um, everybody's kind of siloed in terms of where the research goes, where the money goes for the research. But again, it's not just uh, it shouldn't just be research based, my belief is. I, I think we need some caregiving support out there as well, and those funds need to be um, channeled. Um, because it is about our attitude. It is about how we are how we are dealing with it as care partners. And, you know, as those who are, are diagnosed with, with early onset, it's extremely important to them um, to, you know, know how to deal with the disease, how do they process it. You know, it's not you just don't all of a sudden get this disease and you're in end stages, and I think a lot of times people think that's what it's like, um, and it's not that at all. Um, you know, my mom's had it for memory problems for thirty years. That's a long, long time. And maybe, you know, some will say, Well, that's an unusual case. Um, I really don't think it is. I think it was just that she was aware of it early on. She didn't get diagnosed probably till the last fifteen years or so. Um, but that was part of a problem with doctors not being able to diagnose and pushing it off to hormones and stuff, but knew something was wrong, and most people with this disease will tell you that they knew something was wrong as well, but they weren't getting the answers. They weren't, you know, the the medical profession was not there supporting them um, in the level that they know. In fact, we've got a show coming up on the 3rd where Steve is going to, the title is called, So I Was Right. There is a problem with my memory because he was kind of like a dog chasing his tail um, Rick Phelps, who you know is our channel expert here, talks about the same thing—the the difficulty of diagnosis. And so, um, if there's a way that music can help, you know, raise awareness and raise funds for for both research and caregiver support, um, general education, and removing the fear—I mean, that would be absolutely incredible um, to be able to do. And I, I think it's just such a natural tie-in and I don't know, I, I don't understand why it has not been utilized and developed. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you're on that, Richard. We need, we need somebody orchestrating that and getting that all, all squared away. Now can you um, tell people um, how do they, how they find um, more information about the song Hiding in the Rain? Where should they go?
2: Well, everything is uh, posted on our website at hidingfromtherain.com. Uh, we okay. have an About Us section which explains how, you know, who we are and how we made the video and, and what our goals are and our mission. And we also have a, a thank you section for all the different organizations that are helping to share the video out there, as well as a way to contact us. Uh, especially if you're interested in playing the video at a, an event you're hosting or benefit you're hosting, we're more than happy to uh, provide a copy so you can play the video to your uh, the people coming, you know, attending your event. Or if you want to perform the song, we can help you perform the song at your event. Give you the music, and uh, so you can have a singer, uh, you know, perform the song at the event. So uh, our goal is to get the message out the best we can. So uh, yeah, we definitely would, you know, love people to uh, perform the song at their benefits. Or so, uh, we actually have a, a gentleman. Uh, Eric Richardson, who's a uh, D. Martin tribute singer, that wants to add the uh, song to his performance and uh, to uh, help everyone, you know, become more aware of, of Alzheimer's when he does his show. So,
1: oh, very cool, very cool. One of our, our guests um, who's listening, Kathy, said that um, she she absolutely loves the song. It's just beautiful and very touching, and that. She shared the video and the song on her wall as well, and she wanted to let you know that. So thank you, Kathy. It, it is absolutely um, a gorgeous, gorgeous song, and very, uh, very important message um, to be gotten out there. Now, when you talk about um, people getting a, um, you know, the sheet music or um, the DVD, um, is there a fee for that, or how does that transpire?
2: Well, you know, it costs money to make a DVD and mail it, but you know, right now we're uh, you know we're just uh, sending it to anyone that wants it uh, on the house.
1: Mhm. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty exceptional. So now is the time to act. At and some
2: point in time, if we get so many requests, we might have to charge a few bucks for postage and making the CD. But you know, we're here to you know to help get the message out. So as long as we can do that, we'll we'll do it.
0: Mhm. Great.
1: Well, absolutely fantastic. Um, I was wondering um before I let you go, because I see Jamie's not quite here on the line with us yet. Um, but I wanted to um touch base with you and, and see if there was anything else that you wanted to talk about regarding um the song or um, you know, future
3: efforts that you are are doing. Gina, do you have
2: anything?
3: Well, I just, I want to thank people out there for sharing it, um, first of all, you know, um, that's our goal, is to spread the message. Um, and we're, you know, our our goal is to continue to make songs that, that touch people, um, just like our, our new song we're working on, to help others. Um, it seems to be, you know, there was a time where that was just normal that you would help your neighbor and you would take care of your family and there's still a lot of people out there like that, but it's it's kind of like we need to remind people that even if it's a little thing, it would mean a lot to, you know, like with the caregiving situation, uh, you know, anything that they can do. So we're just hopeful that, you know, through people spreading it through Facebook and uh, tweeting the song and emails that you know, people that watch it will realize, you know, I can I can actually do something about this. Uh, not only that, but um, it's so important that people uh, get behind this cause because, you know, we don't know what causes it. We don't know, you know, when we have these cases of early onset where they could be even in their 30s. You know, a lot of people don't know about that. They think, oh, you know, if I live to be 70 or 80, I may get it, and they don't worry about it. Uh, but, you know, the reality is it strikes people. It can strike people at a young age, and uh, like Rick said before, there's just not the kind of exposure as as other diseases out there.
1: Exactly. Very, very true. And, um, and this disease does hit a lot of young people, and it's very, very important that the face of it changes. And I, I think the Alzheimer's Association has... Has um, started to shift that face, um, but again, it's going to take much more time for that to really, I think, sink into to people um, on you know who this affects. And um, Kathy says, um, "Thank you." She would love to get one of your one of your CDs. Um, she said her mom passed away with Alzheimer's, and she was her caregiver, and she saw the different steps uh, the, of the disease were really you know heart wrenching and um like most of us who have gone through that we've we've all had our had our struggles is there is there one thing richard that um for you in the disease process is there one tip that maybe you'd like to share with people that you know what helped you um through the process
2: i think uh one of my biggest you know assets is i'm a very patient person so i think Trying to be patient, uh, my dad would uh when I took my dad to see the doctors uh he would probably ask me fifteen to twenty times there and back, you know, did you get a new car and mm-hmm. uh and I mean it's a simple question and and I understood he 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 doesn't remember uh he asked me it and i I would try my best to come up with different ways to answer the same question uh but you know I, I think patience is the is the biggest thing you can try to have when you're, when you're trying to be a caregiver.
1: Okay. And how about you, Gina? Any words of
3: wisdom? Um, you know, when I guess uh, I'd like to just focus on how, um, you know, I didn't uh, actually take care of my grandparents uh, mm-hmm. besides going to their house every once in a while and staying overnight and helping that way. Um, but I, I did see people, you know, bring food to them to help or, you know, offer to clean their house or any anything like that that can lighten the load. Um, but that just made a big difference uh, to everybody involved. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of what I learned about, uh, you know, kind of an extension of the caregiving role. Okay.
2: and you know, There's one other thing I'd like to add about the song I just thought of. That mm-hmm. uh I get we get a lot of comments on the singer, uh, who's Alan Morale out of uh Tennessee. Uh he did okay. a, a wonderful job on the song and a lot of people just love his, his vocals. And uh one thing I wanted to point out is that uh he was singing from personal experience. His uh his best friends growing up one of his best friends growing up their family, uh, had uh the the grandparents and the mother and right now his his friend is actually getting early Early onset, so he was able to really relate to the song and connect with it. and I think that you know it comes across in his vocals.
1: Oh, yeah, it, it you can definitely feel it. Um, I, I don't know if he has any um, contact information, but if you want to send me a little blurb about him, I would be glad to add that on because you know okay. it's a matter of everybody kind of working together with this stuff, and if somebody likes the the vocals and um, and then again to um, I'll be posting this on on the blog and then I'll go ahead and post um, your contact information and again people can go to your website directly at www.hidingfromtherain.com and um, you'll get all kinds of great information. And was there an email address that you wanted to share with people at all, or should they just go through they the can, website? You know,
2: at the website we have a contact page, and they can just send us a message there, and uh, it'll go to our email, and uh, uh, it'll we'll respond you know quickly to it. Especially okay. Kathy that wanted the CD. I mean, she just has to go to the website and send me an email. Uh, just use the contact form to you know make a request and uh we'll get everything uh taken care of from there.
1: Okay, wonderful. And Kathy, if you have any questions, just give me a holler. Otherwise, you can just go to again www.hidingfromtherain.com. Go to their uh contact us and then receive uh you know let them know that you would like to receive a, a CD of the songs. That would be wonderful. Well, again, um Richard and Gina, I appreciate all the wonderful work that you're doing. Um, I think, you know, pulling together songs for causes is just so cool in and of itself. Um, But because my heart and soul is so planted in dementia, again, I can't thank you enough for the beautiful work that you're doing and any way that I can help you, um, you know, raise your voice in what you're doing or if new um, things roll out for you, please keep me posted. And I would be I would be glad to uh, to help you any way that I can. I know that you just had a nice article written, and I, it's left my mind as to who who just did that article on you. The uh, American Richard.
2: Health uh, Assistant Foundation.
1: Okay, great. A-H-A-S. A H A S dot com. Very very nice article that they did.
2: Yeah, we thank you for having us on the show, and thank a big thank you to everybody out there that's watched the video and sharing it with their with everyone. Yeah, thank you, Lori.
3: We just appreciate it.
2: Well, wonderful. Well, you guys have a great
1: week ahead, and I'm sure we will definitely be in touch. Okay? Thank
2: you very much. Okay, thank you. Bye.
1: Bye now. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our next guest, who is Janie Jason. And Janie is a... um, Professional speaker, a best selling author of The Littlest Christmas Tree. She's also a colleague of mine and a close personal friend. Um, Janie has. Yes, um, hello. This, well, hi, Janie. Good I'm morning. Just little, Good morning. She's doing your little introduction here.
0: So, Thank um, you. Janie has,
1: Janie has walked this journey of dementia and being an only child with two parents with dementia so you had double duty there and as a pre-baby boomer she was really ahead of the crowd with little knowledge about Alzheimer's disease and it was quite a struggle Um, we've come a long ways even though we've got a long long ways to go and the Alzheimer's Association was definitely a a great support to her in some areas Um, but she's going to talk to us today and share some of the lessons that she learned on her journey some of the changes that she's seen in the industry and in society as a whole um, in terms of dealing with dementia. And um, we'll get some wise words from her as in terms of what she thinks could help um, in the future in terms of dealing with this disease. She also, at the end, will share with us her latest book, which was co-written with uh, Chez called Traditions and how it can really help families in terms of dealing with dementia, so Janie, um, I'm just thrilled to have you on the show. This is just kind of fun to have a <laughs> to have a friend and colleague on the show. So um, I wanted to um, have you give the audience a little bit of background about your parents in terms of the timelines and and so forth, and just kind of set up the the, the situation with your mom and dad. Um, when they got diagnosed, and so forth. So I'll let you go ahead and do that for everybody. Okay.
5: Okay. My journey, of course, uh, went on from probably 1982 till 2001. And, of course, at that time, uh, everything was very foggy, and there were a lot of wondering, uh, wandering, wandering uh, people in the healthcare industry who didn't really say anything about well this would be alzheimer's this would be dementia this would be parkinson's so i began this journey uh i live in minneapolis my mom and fo- dad lived in a suburb of milwaukee so we have a a 360 mile you know deficit in between and being an only child i was really used to being take charge and uh so i thought i would just run in there and see what was wrong and and everything would be solved. Well, you cannot figure out what's happening from that many miles away, so I kept driving there. And uh, I couldn't figure it out at all. The only thing was the most magnificent thing that happened was somebody said there's an Alzheimer's support group at the local church. Well, out of the blue, what is that going to mean? But I went to it, and they gave me piles of papers, To make sure, (laughs) this is just a joke now, to make sure that your mom and dad would sign these papers and that everything would be okay, then you'd be the power of attorney, da-da-da-da. Well, for all of you listening, that did not happen. I had two very strong, entrepreneurial, physically fit parents. My dad water skied until he was 75 years old. My mother could outdig anybody in a garden, and she could ride a bike, and she could do everything. So these two people who ran a huge business operation in Milwaukee, the last thing they would do would be sign some paper for their only child daughter who lived far away. And the perception that... Um, we have as parents, I don't know who's listening, but I'm, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, and my children are now 49, 47, and 45. I don't really think they're ready to be signing papers. But, of course, we never see our children as capable to do that. So the papers went unsigned, and I began a very difficult Journey of driving, trying to find out what was ma- um, the matter. A lot of paranoia in my mother, very much like the disease of alcoholism, in that uh, the people who have it or live with someone who has it are in the in the denial process, and so I couldn't really tell what was going on until my mother came to a very panicky stage with my dad, who seemed to be the first one down the line. And I'm looking at, he died at 80, so we had seven years previous to that. Uh, Pretty predictable in Alzheimer's uh, as what I understand now. Uh, But to get him out of the house and get him into a facility was the toughest job that I ever had to do because uh, I was not empowered. And uh, then finally, you know, the family friend who was a banker, he got into it. That helped us get my father into the facility. Well, I talk about this so uh, detached now, but that day I I remember flying to Milwaukee, getting in a rental car, driving out to Wauwatosa, telling my mother we had a meeting, getting Daddy in the car, very complicated, Uh, And she kept saying, where are we going? Where are we going? Well, and we were going to the care center. And as I drove up, I felt as if I was taking my father to um, just to the wolves or something. I just could not understand uh, how this could be happening. My own denial was enormous. So I had the the salesman's friend standing at St. Camillus when my dad was getting out of the car, and he said to my father, Mr. Henry, come on in. We have a lot of work for you to do here. And as I parked the car and got Mother out, I knew he would never leave there. Mm -hmm. So that was at the end of our seven-year thing, and that was with my father. And then the reality uh hit that my own mother was so bizarre and crazy, but you couldn't see one till you got the other out of it and It took another year to catch her because she was so she was so shifty to have her do something that required her going in a facility once again. I was not power of attorney. I was not a trustee. I was an only child. I lived out of state. But now here's where the miracle, Lori. This is the miracle. You, The work you are doing with Alzheimer's Speaks, the work you are doing on behalf of how your mother inspired you, it is that work that creates an awareness in people, an awareness beyond those doctor appointments where the doctor says, well, you know, they couldn't say the president last year. Beyond all of that, uh, the awareness of how this disease works, it creates so much support, and I didn't have it. I went to the Alzheimer's uh, support group. Think of it. I mean, we're looking at uh, the year 1989, 90. Nobody knew and and so I remember calling places in Minneapolis, would you take my mother? And they all said the same thing because even now, I mean, we have this going on with what about the financial, what about the medical, what about that, what about the paper, And so I didn't have that. I didn't have that power. I probably called 30 places in Minneapolis, will you take my mother? And, of course, they all asked, was I empowered? And I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Now, because of what you do, um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, what what you do is create that awareness that people need to know up front. I didn't have that. so But what I did have was, and you and I are professional speakers, we have been out in front of audiences for years, me as a motivational humorist with stories, and so I have been in front of 38 out of probably, what, 50 healthcare care associations in the United States of America. So I was speaking to those groups, and in one of those groups there was a woman who just happened to be <laughs> involved with a care center in Minneapolis. And I made a call that one day, and she answered the phone, and I said, this is Janie Jason, and I'm in trouble with my mom. And she asked the question, are you this? I said, no. And she said, Janie, we'll take your mother. You gave us a free speech when you started speaking. So um, I guess the message here is the more we connect as neighbors and friends and colleagues, the more we give of what we know. That's what you're doing with Alzheimer's Speaks. The more you create an awareness of the work you're doing, the more comfort you... because you never know where these people are that appear to help you. And, you know, I'm a sort of an old Catholic girl. I didn't believe every single thing for 500 years of that, but I have a, a parish family... I'm God-fearing. I'm a 12-step woman with 35 years sobriety. I have to believe that it is thy will be done. And if I give of my gifts now and have in the past, someone will show up and say, you know, Janie, I'll help you. And this sneaky disease, this really is, and I, I never say this word, it's a pisser. (laughs) <laughs> and every family seems to handle it differently and every family yeah, I'm whining away oh I didn't have any siblings I had to do it all myself the truth is uh, people who have siblings it's usually one person that does it all and the others yep. kind of run away and hide yeah I, it's it's a, it's a tough
1: disease and And a lot of it has to do with our dynamics within our family. I mean, I I joke, I I have two brothers, and, you know, everything probably fell on my shoulders, but I also positioned myself for that. And why would, you know, because I was the perfectionist of the family and I was kind of the control freak and stuff, so why would they want to tangle with any of it, knowing it was never going to measure up anyways? And so I think sometimes families have to look at the roles that they're playing and how it's set up and and trying to spread it around a little bit. But there certain things that you need control over that everybody can't have their their fingers in either. Um, and so you have to be able to develop that trust as well with that. Song, yes, so I did need to get
0: you
5: off track. Well, that. and support. You know, support. I wasn't totally in the in the dark about it. As a young bride, I was an activities director at Sleepy Hollow Manor in Falls Church, Virginia. So I understood some ways of connecting with people that seemed remote at that time, and I did it just out of instinct. Uh, I remember them bringing in a van and they said, well, he hasn't spoken, he you know, doesn't sit up, he doesn't walk, he doesn't do anything. Uh, and I looked at him, and I thought, my gosh, I, I've got to find something out about this man, which I did from another person that lived there. She said he had been a top architect in the city of Washington, D.C. I was young. I ran into Washington, D.C., out of the archives. I got some uh, plans of a building that he had drawn, and I walked in with the blueprints, and I said to him, Mr. Beecher, you've been keeping this from us. You drew this building. And he sat up in the bed, and he said, yes, would you like me to tell you about it? So, you know, my faith is very strong about what connects. And I thought, what a a blessing to be on your show today because my dad had some very strange ways about connecting. He would put his hand in front of your face if you weren't paying attention to something like where to drive the boat or whatever, and he'd put his hand up in front and he'd wave in front of your eyes and he'd say, "Say, look at me, look at me, look at me, and now we're going to do this. So when he got into uh, Saint Camillus in Milwaukee, uh, and he wasn't paying attention, I taught the staff do this: just wave your hand, look at me, and of course he did. So Mm -hmm. those, you know, it's those sneaky little precious things that we know as family members that can can be so familiar to the person with dementia, Alzheimer's. The confusion it seems familiar, and it hooks people on a level where they once were alert and alive so i i taught <laughs> I taught the whole staff to do a look at me and mm-hmm. uh, and then uh the other you know the other difficult thing, and I think it's uh you know when you try to find activities for people, what is going to hook them? Uh, on, you know, what will give them peace and serenity you just had the music guest on wonderful about the music and you've done some webinars for Wisconsin on music and that music thing was ideal for my dad and of course this is pre-CDs, pre-downloading but I had the skill set to record so I recorded his favorite songs and my voice in between like a kind of like a disc jockey. <laughs> so I'd be saying, now, Daddy, remember this song? I can see you dancing with Mother to this. Underneath the arches, you dream your dreams away. And then I'd put a different song, and then I'd be saying, I, I love this song. Daddy, sing with me. Take me out at the ball game." So I did that, and then I'd pray at the end. He loved it. He loved it. And the activity person said, you know, in his last stages, we put him in his recliner chair. We put the tape player next to his bed, and he listened and smiled. And that's the only time he really relaxed or smiled. Well, good deal. So mom gets wacky and strange and confused. I think I'll do the same thing. Oh, (laughs) no, 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 no. Did not work for her, and her parents were musicians. It made her so nervous. I think she thought she was supposed to get up and dance or do something. I don't know, but trash that idea. So how to connect, you know, when they're in there. And I think you do that with the chocolate Sundays with your mother.
1: Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> still do that. I mean, she's. It's four years now in her end stages but she pops open like a little bird for her hot fudge sundays from McDonalds. You <laughs> so know, she just loves those. And my, my daughter's now dieting, so she's doing yogurt now with her. She's giving her the Greek yogurts and she, she seems to like that too. So um you know, or M and Ms, just little i mean it doesn't it doesn't make any difference, you know, and the dietician will say, Well, you know, she really shouldn't have that and I'm like, Does it really matter? I mean, really. Well, yeah,
5: she's yeah. overweight. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> and and the pain of this, and I, you know, I, do, I know some of the things you do, you've detached. Your memory card is so amazing. I would have killed somebody to get a hold of that in those years. Are she Is she happy? Is she pain-free? Is she safe? Oh, I had no idea about that with the visits. I thought I was supposed to connect and I was bringing in glasses that she used for champagne and I was trying to create what she would be familiar with and I could barely leave the visit. I didn't know how to get out of the room and I felt so bad and I'd go back in and I'd kiss her one more time and then I'd leave and and then I'd come home and I was just worn, just you know crying in the chair so that whole you know i wish i could write a permission slip for every person listening to this show that would just say when you leave the facility when you leave the house and here's an eraser <laughs> do your own life you know go do something I have a a story that I, you know, all the time that I was going through this, I was writing, I was writing, writing, writing. And I ended up putting a PDF together and a spiral-bound book of every one of those visits and the stories. It was great. I thought, oh, this will help people. Well, nobody even bought it or wanted it or whatever. But I was doing it anyway. And it helped me get past all of that. Uh, But the the biggest thing was... (laughs) There's a story in here called Pooped at the Mall, and every Tuesday I'd go and pick my mother up, put her in the car, and those people at the care center, would they'd look at me and they'd say, okay, you two have fun. And I'm sure they were like, oh, good, she's going. Uh, put her in the car, seatbelt across, kiss my mother on the cheek, drive to the mall, I take her to the mall. And parked the car really fast. I didn't have handicap, so I parked the car really fast. Then I put my mother in the vestibule. It was be really fast. And we'd look at the merchandise. And this was a great, you know, a little field trip for us. I'd take mm-hmm. her over to the jewelry counter because she sold fine jewelry when she was young. I'd introduce her to the same clerk every time. Hi, this is my mother, Mrs. Felker. She sold fine jewelry. And my mother would look at all the things. And she was she would tell me what all the gold was and all the jewels. With time to go. We're on the way out in the vestibule. I'm running to get the car. I come back and my mother says, Wait. I say, What? She said, It's coming. I thought I said, What? She said, A bowel movement. I I, I just thought I wasn't gonna die. I, it was just <laughs> awful. <laughs> and I pictured she wore these like little loose pantlet panties. <laughs> I thought, Oh my gosh And then oh oh gosh oh get her to the car. Oh it held. Okay. I oh, I could just get her to the facility. There'd be people there to help. Oh, got her out of the thing, I'm a seatbelt out, log her back in. I look at the main desk, not a soul there. I think we'll get to the back desk. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be somebody there. Nobody there. Get her to the room, I think. I'll push the button. Oh that someone will come right away. Nobody. Oh, now I have my mother holding her dress up over her shoulders, and I'm scrubbing her down. Oh, of course, did they have a towel? Did they have a washcloth? No, 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 they have a paper towel at the facility. Oh, my gosh, I'm running for the linens. I'm fixing her up. I get her done, I put her nightgown on, and I put her to bed at 4.30. I said, you must be tired. Well, I was, <laughs> <laughs> you were exhausted. <laughs> the nurse comes in and... <laughs> And now I'm, I'm I'm landed in the bed with my mother, lifting her into the bed. The nurse sees both of us in the single bed. She says, well, what's the matter with you two? I tell her the story. She says, well, why didn't you ask for help? Oh, oh. <laughs> One of the things I did do is I joined a health club, and I went right there after that day. And these ladies were sitting in the health club, and they said, how is it going with your mother? I said, well, she pooped at the mall today. And the other woman said, well, I used to take my mother to the mall, too. The other woman said, we always went to the mall. Then the, the third woman said, my mother died at the mall. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is the generation where they poop and shop and drop and die at the mall. But, uh, I I mean, who could? You couldn't write this, what we get into with the visit. It's just so... Um, it's complicated, very complicated. Who anybody enters into this and thinks that the answers are going to be on the Lori LeBay phenomenal website, or they're going to be in the healthcare center, or they're going to be. Oh man, this is, this is just a really big challenge when you get into this. And, and um, I'm amazed. What you're doing is such a phenomenal thing because uh, I had none of this, nothing.
1: Well, and, you know, and, and all I'm doing really is trying to raise everybody's voice so that we can be, you know, heard. Because I don't think that any of us has the answers. You know, there isn't a magic bullet to this, and so it's very important that we um, that we all work together and kind of fill our toolbox,
3: you know, with. That. Well, and
5: one thing that I did do, I've talked kind of in a mean way about the. Um, The papers of the Alzheimer's, I did keep all of those papers. And, of course, Mm -hmm. the the paperwork was in there about donating the brain, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when this would happen. And, of course, with Daddy, my mother, you know, she was still in control, and so I couldn't do any of that. But I kept those papers, and when this ended with my mom, so we went Mm -hmm. from... 1987 to 2001, she was in long-term care, private pay all of that time, and Daddy before her from 83. So we had almost 14 years of private pay. That's an interesting interesting thing for me to look at when I see uh, insurance and health care arguments that are going on. My mother and father, they had that depression mindset where we are going to earn our way and we're going to find a way to make our way. And praise God, they did have a way that they did that and they paid they paid for all of that health care. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the gift. They paid for it so that maybe somebody else has it today. I don't know. Those are things that go on in my own mind as I face this mess with myself. And, of course, every time I forget something, I know I have it. And, of course, recent memory snaps away for all of us as we get older, and mine comes and goes. I I don't know if the computer work is helping me or hindering me, but it's uh, almost like that game concentration where you turn the card over. Oh, now what was that card? You open the document? Oh, what was that one? But this whole business of um, being able to use the resources at at hand now in any facility in in the Alzheimer like this memory cafe thing that you're doing that would have probably saved me a trip to the mall. <laughs> I could have gone <laughs> with my mother to the memory cafe, and I don't know. I don't know if the Alzheimer's associations. Uh, or all of the facility people, or all of the home care people, if they know uh, the difficulty of finding activities for people that have memory loss, uh, and that's what's so difficult—what to do with your loved one—and and that's a perfect place where you could go, and it would feel right, mm-hmm. feels comfortable. Such yeah. a well, such a blessing.
1: Yeah, and and what we do really is we just hang out.
5: I mean, what, what we're
1: trying to do is bring normality back to the disease, so it's not an activity. It's just a, it's a club. It's like a bowling club or a bridge club where you're hanging out with friends, and I think that's part of the problem is we get lost in terms of thinking that it has to be structured and it has to be different, and you know, it has to be adaptable, um, but people really just want to belong. You know, they just want to have that core interaction and to feel comfortable and to laugh. And and as you know, family and friends pull away because they don't know what to do. And so the the Memory Cafe, um, you know, brought it over from Europe, and and they're they're much more programmatic here. Um, In in our model, we're we're very off the cuff. We, We do what our people want to do. Our groups are are smaller so we don't have a huge staff or anything but we have about a dozen people but um we just hang out and talk and share and develop friendships and, and laugh and I think so many times um people think it's gotta be so much more complicated. And it really doesn't have to be.
5: Yeah, and you know, as a as a loved one, as a family member You react so weirdly to your loved one's weirdness. and However, when you go into a a place like the adult daycare or the memory cafe, acceptance is is the rule. It doesn't matter if your person is singing at the top of their lungs or dancing around in a corner. So what? So what? It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's acceptable. But in, in the regular, you know, I remember my mother opening every packet of butter at the table of the restaurant and licking them out and i couldn't (laughs) couldn't stop her Uh, so you know that was a weird behavior but if that happened at the memory cafe so what it wouldn't (laughs) matter it's all acceptable so to get the the people who listen to this radio show to be aware of the the extra kinds of things that people can do, and also that times have changed. We know so much more. And yet we know so much more, but you and I, Laurie, we've been involved in the film that Molly Cox made called Note to Self, and we can see that she, as a caregiver with her father, she's the primary caregiver, he's in a facility She's all worn out from it. She's exhausted. She's she's overly thinking it. she's vigilant to the point of exhaustion. All of that, and mm-hmm. uh, it, and it just wears a person. And you want to say to that person, it's okay. You can get the big excuse, dear, God, you know, dear Molly. Uh, God loves you very much, and you don't have to go today. Sign the big G or whatever
0: mm-hmm.
5: But yeah That uh, that codependence Is huge And every time yeah. you just Yeah you're getting detachment And then there's another paper or a care conference I remember getting those Care conference um, You know the grades Or whatever the classification I don't know where does it start A yeah. you're really good and peppy and wonderful and young acting And, and E minus you're Needing every chair there is, I <laughs> I, would, I would open those, no, and I would just start crying, and I I'd, I'd say, "Oh, mother, you have such a bad report card." Oh, but see, that was my perception too. It wasn't, it wasn't what they were thinking, you know, when they were dealing with her there.
1: No, and no. That, they were looking at how do we provide the best care, and, and if we don't know where she stands, we can't
5: deliver that to her,
1: you know. And and as their needs increase, of course the costs increase, and that's all the chart meant, <laughs>
5: you know. Well, that's um, it. And then also the family, or not the family, but your friends asking, "How is your mother doing?" Oh, she's an E minus now, you, you know, just not very good. And you don't want to go into it, but just detach. And uh, it just, um, I tried to do so many things that were so ridiculously foolish. I thought if I took my mother to her lake house and then brought her sister from the town nearby, the sisters would have a nice summer visit. Well, after a week, and I hired a nurse to come and help me, I had my mother and her sister and the sister's dog, and we were all at the lake for almost a week, and we did everything. And so I drove my aunt, my mother's sister, back to her house, and then the way back to the lake, my mother said, Who was that old grandma? (laughs) I said, It was your sister. She said, What sister? I said, That was Jenny. She said, You mean that old woman? I said, Yeah, yeah. She so... So I killed myself over that for nothing. Yeah, it would have been... she was better just... <laughs> yeah, but, she
1: was living in a different place in time, and, you know, she wasn't that old, so she couldn't
5: have a sister that old, and... Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, I think the big thrill, you know, we've talked about this, is that my mother loved dogs. That was the greatest help that I had of all. We had a yellow Labrador named Kenai. And Kenai was kind of a worthless dog. She didn't fetch or hunt or do anything, but I would take her to see my mother on the leash, and we would go in. And, of course, the dog loved it, licked every crumb off of every person's lap. (laughs) And, And then my mother would be in the wheelchair, and I'd say, could you hold the leash? And so, of course, the dog was walking out ahead of the wheelchair and my mother thought she was walking the dog Mm -hmm. what a wonderful thing that was you know and i'd say will you watch the dog and i'd tell the dog to sit there and my mother would be she thought she was in charge of the dog so uh, the animals helped so so very much that helped us that helped us connect and uh you know to to just make it so simple with clothing you know, I I I don't know what we would have done without jogging suits. They <laughs> they were so, so handy so easy
1: so easy to get on and off, and they're comfortable. And yeah, I, again, you know, that's another thing where I think families struggle in terms of well, they have to look perfect. And you know, again, that looking perfect is about us. It's not about them. Um, at, at at a certain point, you know, they in my opinion, lose their ego, and they really don't care. It's, it's about are they safe, are they happy, you know, are they pain-free, and that's as simple as it gets. It's not about does my hair look perfect and are my teeth brushed, and um, it's about just wanting to belong and feel comfortable. And so getting people to to shift their expectations in terms of what they expect to see and, how you know, how they expect it to look, It's a real big problem, um, you know, with all of us, because our egos pretty much drive us, and we're a a society that judges one another by how we look and how we act and what we have. And if this disease has taught me anything, it's about life. Really, isn't about those things. It's really Mm -hmm. focused on on the small, precious little connections—the glint in the eye, the smile, the giggle. Um, the touch of a hand, a hug—you um, know—it's it, it's those little things that um, that inspire me and fill me so full that are just a nanoseconds long, you know. Now, and with my mom and her end stages, that um, that, that just light me up. And so, you know, it, it's a matter of training ourselves to look for different things and to. Really, um, you know, I mean, because you, you get what you, you you get what you think about. You know, everyone's always said that. You know, your your thought patterns will guide you to you know whatever you want to find in life. And you know, if you think about sadness and sorrow, that's all you're going to be able to see. But if you think about joy, you know, if you can if you can flip that switch and start just focusing on joy, all of a sudden it shows up, and, and it was there the whole time. We mm-hmm. just miss it because we're not
5: looking for it. Well, that that feeling so responsible. I think that's really a danger. And yet, it was on my shoulders, and I was responsible. And one of the things with the dressing up deal was, my mother was very beautiful. She was an Irish beauty, you know, five foot four, peaches and cream skin, brunette. She kind of looked like Loretta Young in the old movies or, uh, oh, that, who is that, Jane Wyatt. She just was so pretty. And so when she, when when I got a hold of her care, I felt like, gosh, she's been neglected here trying to take care of Daddy. She's a mess. And I was buying her pretty things, you know. And um, I, I just, you know, I guess that was my problem. And then we had the girdle situation, which was very difficult. Women wore girdles in those days. She wanted a girdle. She wanted those garters with the stockings. And I couldn't get them off of her, but the new girdles I bought were so tight, so I didn't know what to do with them. I thought, I've got to stretch them. So one day somebody came over to my yard. I had four girdles stretched over lawn chairs, and I was bleaching them and cutting them with razor blades so they'd ease up and I I mean my neighbors just flipped out but you know you do what you have to do and uh, but this is a very difficult disease and I don't know if I will ever stop thinking about what it what it involves and of course more and more and more coming they're just all coming the Mm -hmm. woman who helped me with my mother her sister early onset now at seventy one so we have that going on. I can see it in my generation now. It was very painful for me to see that we're entering that now. Very yeah. painful. Well in in the piece with the girl, I, I thank God my
1: mom didn't wear a girdle because I had a hard enough time trying to get her to stop wearing a bra and wearing a camisole because yes. there was a point where she um she, you know she wanted to look good and she could still dress herself. But she was she couldn't get the bra on. So we tried, you know, every which way and different mm-hmm. types of bras. And finally it was like, you know, just let them hang and wear a camisole. No <laughs> one's going to no. know. And it took me three months to convince her of wearing the camisole because that is just not what you did, kind of like you didn't go out without a girdle on. Yeah, and I'll, yeah. never, I'll never, ever ever forget being up at the lake and I finally had convinced her that camisoles it would just be easier and no one could tell and she was comfortable and she wouldn't get herself frustrated because she would get really worked up and she'd get really dumb on herself for not oh. being able to book her bra and mm-hmm. my um, my brother's girlfriend came in and said, well I'll take you to go shopping for bras and it was like, oh my God. She ruined the whole thing. Yeah, ruined well, three months of progress. And then, on the way home from the lake, my mom did not talk to me for two hours. She sat there with her arms crossed and her face beat red, and she just mm-hmm. mulled over of why her dang daughter wouldn't go buy
5: her bras I mean, yeah,
0: she they couldn't dead. get
5: past cause that
0: cause she
1: could
5: hold we her had something similar with 7:00. the purse that's a that's a whole woman thing too. Where's my purse? Where's my purse? Where's my purse? Finally, I just put a strap on a Kleenex box because she said she needed a purse for Kleenex, so we Mm -hmm. did that. We did the Kleenex box, and that uh, that got her through that. But, oh, my, this is a journey, and anybody who has begun it, uh, it's a journey. But the things that your parents loved or your loved ones loved, I think they work over and over and over again, whether it's the dogs or whatever and to combat the, the sometimes uh, interfering healthcare care professionals who don't quite understand or they're fearful. I remember going in one time and there was a Great Dane visiting my mother and she was crazed for dogs, crazed. And the Great Dane had his feet on her shoulders and sitting at the foot of her wheelchair. And my mother had the Great Dane's face in her hands and she was, Kissing the dog and <laughs> talking, oochie coochie coochie coochie, and I thought that the CNAs were going to have a fit. <gasps> I said, you know, if she dies of a dog kiss uh, or a germ, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. She would have died loving that.
2: Mm-hmm. So
5: all of those tools, I think, are really the answer. And I even put one in in the new book that Ches and I wrote together, Traditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your poke? I put one in there about using the Irish brogue, not that my mother sp- spoke with a brogue, but she was a Flanagan. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so in the last stages where she wouldn't open her eyes, then I would just sit in front of her and I would say, well, holy name of God, now pearly Flanagan, how the hell are you? And, you know, <laughs> she would open her eyes and she would just stare at me and she would do one sound, ha, huh. that was it. But it worked over and over and over again, almost like that look at me thing. Uh, well, and with this, so she was used to that. And mm-hmm. it helped us so much, whatever we can do to connect. And I don't know how we lose such track of that, you know, as we get along you know, you and I are still in the working world. There's a lot of business going on. People are now using their iPhones and their e-phone and their A-phone and their headphone, and they're, they're connecting on every screen there could possibly be, and it's going to be more and more and more prevalent. And yet when you get to the final here with trying to connect with human beings, you have to look at them to touch them to pat them, to stroke their back. I think if it hadn't been for hand lotion and a back pat, I would have nothing I could do with my mom or even her feet, massaging her feet. So that connecting with people continues to be a surprising uh, angle in my own life, how people Mm -hmm. really connect. And of course, the story of how that book came together is so bizarre because, you know, I was pretty well retired, and yet I love the National Speakers Association. I love our chapter in Minnesota of the National Speakers Association because that's where we go to hang out. That's our memory cafe, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
5: we we go there to see what the other guy is doing and how are they and is that okay and how do they look especially in these tough times you know it's good to hang out with people that are working on the positive life i am i am so driven by my father's um saying he during the depression he would say why doesn't somebody start something and he was such a starter of stuff Whatever it took, he was going to get 18 major brands of appliances. He was going to do this, he was going to do that, and he ended up doing it. He just saw that positive, like you're talking about the joy. (laughs) So connecting with people, somehow, so important. So here I go four years ago off to the Minnesota chapter meeting, nothing else to do. Uh, In my retirement, I had some very bad habits. I'm still fighting with them, go and get a pie from Baker Square and do this and read the paper and talk to other retired people who are standing in parking lots talking about coupons. And uh, I just had some bad habits, but I went to that meeting and uh, I listened to the marketing and I listened to all of the latest, greatest, fastest, whippy-do patterns there could possibly be to get business and the meeting was over, and I stood up. I looked over to my right, and there's this guy standing there. You know him. He's our colleague, Cesare Gignic. I look over. I see this guy. I, I am polite. I introduce myself. I'm Janie Jason. He says, I'm Cesare Gignic. He has an accent. I ask where the accent's from. He says, Poland. I immediately went to Milwaukee in my mind. I mean, what does this say about our people with dementia? Where can we go to catch them in their mind? That one place with that one song, with that one saying. So in my mind, I went to the the corner bars in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where all these little Polish people and German people and Czechoslovakian people, they were dancing in the corner bars, left and right to the polka. Uh, uh, they roll roll out the barrel, they'd be singing, and they were dancing. And so I look at this guy and I say to him, you know, They danced the polka from left to right here. they, They did in Milwaukee, but in Minnesota they danced up and down. So which would be correct? Well, he looked at me like I was from another planet. But the point to this whole story is it was a connection. The connection ended up being one that we laughed about. And then later he said, Janie, I only followed up with that because you were approachable. So are we approachable in dementia, we don't know how to approach people, you, but you have to keep coming in. I don't care if it's the polka from left to right or up or down or whatever it is. I want to get to the heart of these sweet people that are struggling with dementia. And I also want to get to the heart of all the the people you are reaching with this work you're doing because the people, the CNAs and the DOs, D-O-Ns and the healthcare hierarchy, they're desperate for clues. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, that really was a teaching tool for me to realize that in the tradition book, tradition, yeah, 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 what's your polka? We're asking people, how do you connect? What dances are you doing in your life? And it just happened that we ended up meeting 20, 30 people for our new book that lent us. Their traditions, how they how they connect, how, what they did because of something. And I'm hoping that from this show you do, and from your site, people are connecting. We do this, we do that. That might work. Try this now. This might be good. Dance to the left. Dance to the right. Dance up and down. Read this. Whatever it takes, Lori. Whatever it takes.
1: Yeah, well in your your book is it's just a nice tool for families to really talk about traditions because one of the things that you know on your memory chip tool that I have, one of the questions is what what do I always want to remember? And people get caught up with thinking that they're not going to remember. So document it. You know, find ah. out what what are your traditions? You know, how does that tie in, and, and how can you pass that along? Or maybe it's a new tradition that you want to make because of a need that you've seen or something that someone else is, is doing. Um, you know, or you could, you know, one of the things that we do in our family now is we've started a, a gratitude book, and every holiday we pull it out, and everybody has to write into it what are they thankful for
0: because hmm. I, I think
1: the holidays have just gotten gotten away from us. And so I think your book, Traditions, just shows the, the strength and the power and the beauty of the relationships, and that seems to be what gets lost so much of the time because we, we get burdened with the task of taking care instead of engaging with the care. And the tasks, what I have found, the tasks get easier when you're more engaged.
5: Um, well, well and I think have... that's what yeah, that's what we're finding out with the book that a woman called me from the Minnesota press the other day, she said, I did something from your book, Janie. I went in and realized the children can hear when they're sleeping. I just went in and talked to my children while they were sleeping and whispered in their ear, I love you so much. And this morning while I'm waiting to go on your show, my son Joe <laughs> He's uh, taken a big job with Polaroid, so he's out in New York, and he says, Mom, I can't come to the book release party, but I'm thinking about you. And I'm thinking about Bumpa. That's my father's nickname for Grandpa. I'm thinking of Bumpa and all the Polaroid pictures he used to put in his album of when he was younger. So, yes, we keep connecting in these loving, memorable ways Uh, And I don't suppose I'll ever hear an Irish brogue or I'll never hear a polka that I don't think of those roots. I'll never Mm -hmm. see anybody with a name tag in a meeting that I won't think about us, Laurie, at all the meetings. (laughs) 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 And I'll never see, uh, you know, Ches and I are going down, because of your website, we're going down to Knoxville, Tennessee, to open the Tennessee Alzheimer's Conference and I, it, you know, what you're doing with your sight is so exquisite. And I don't know what people are going to pick up from what we talked about, but there's a prayer in here that that Ches wrote. That It's a Polish prayer, but it's written in English, and it says, Good night, O Lord, we're going to bed. Let us wake up to your water and bread. Throughout the day and night, by your love and might, open our eyes so we can see. Soften our hearts, almighty. These show us the way through and lead us always, always to you. So I think the big memory cafe is uh, in paradise. And I think my mother's probably dancing there with my father to uh, Guy Lombardo and underneath the arches. <laughs> I think my godmother is probably there eating every chocolate candy she can get her mouth on. <laughs> Uh, I just think, uh, you know, we're headed to a place somewhere where people will remember. And in the meantime, maybe we're called to do that for them. Mm-hmm. I hope that, and it's, you're a lot younger than I am, Laurie, so you already know that I'm going to want Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> but it is and those maybe, simple
1: pleasures that we need to that we need to think about you know and i mean you would curl up and die without music cuz you're just so musical and and things so it it's important that we take the time to find out what is important to the person with dementia um and that we share that information with others so that they know and that they understand what <clears throat> what's working and what isn't working So, Janie, how do people get a hold of you and if they're interested in getting the book Traditions to see how it might be able to help them and, you know, inspire them to um, work with their own traditions of family?
5: Well, that's very nice of you. That's very nice of you. I'm so easy to find. Janie at JanieSpeaks.com, or that's the website, www.ja.n as in Nashville, i.e speaks like the dog. .com. Janie speaks.com. Or I'm here in the Minneapolis area 952 443 3080. And uh if they look on the website, they'll see the ways to get the book, they'll be able to read some of the things, and they will see the people doing the polka. And uh that's kind of a shocker when we're out speaking that the that we're asking people, and I'm asking the radio listeners now, uh, you can tap your foot, you can sit in the chair, or you can get up and dance. And this dance of the Alzheimer's disease requires a lot of hands-on and a lot of love and a lot of trust. And uh, you're making such a powerful connection here, Lori. I'm honored to have been just a small part of this.
1: Well, so thank you for, for spending so much time with us today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up, and um, we will talk to you soon. And again, please uh, reach out to Janie. Uh, She's just an absolutely fantastic speaker. If you're looking for someone to come and talk and motivate and lift your spirits and have some fun, and um, check out their book, Traditions.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, leave a message, because otherwise it's like talking to the wind. I don't know who's out there. and. It would be nice to know that we spent an hour with some real people. So God bless you all, and thank you, Laurie. Thank you.
1: Um, our next show is going to be April 3rd, and that's going to be with Steve. And Steve actually is diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's disease. And the title of his show is, "So well, I Was Right, There Was a Problem with My Memory. Uh, Alan Arnett is also going to join us. He was the one who climbed the seven summits, and he is now on tour um, with uh, with his expo- expedition and um, I look forward to talking with Alan. Then on April 6th, I'm just thrilled to death, I'm going to have the renowned Naomi File. Naomi um, has the validation program and she's going to be talking about finding peace, joy, and dignity with memory loss and she's just an absolutely incredible, incredible Um, woman and speaker and she has been on this mission for over 30 years with her validation program. Uh, Kathy Borey will be with us on the 12th of April and she is an author and she's going to talk about her journey with dementia. And then we've got another program scheduled for the 30th um, that will be another songwriter Uh, It's a son who wrote a song about his mother's dementia So we've got lots of neat things coming up in the future And I I truly hope that you're able to to join us If not, all of our shows are are, archived And again, we would appreciate any support you can give us In terms of spreading the word about the show So if you can like us, tweet about us um, If you want to link us in a newsletter or a blog Please feel free to do so Last, if you are somebody who has memory loss or is a care partner or maybe a business professional and you think you've you've got something to share to help others on this journey, please reach out to me. You can shoot me an email um and I would be glad to get a hold of you and maybe you can be our next guest on the show. Alzheimer's Speaks is really about again raising the voice of all. Um, and developing a broader tool palette for all of us to partake in. So until next time, have a wonderful day, and thank you so much for listening.
3: It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey everybody, Jared Sylvester here, host of Retire Repurposed.